Welcome to Beyond the Pen, the podcast that delves into the untold stories of emerging authors and the literary world. I'm your host, Maccabee Griffin, and each week I'll be shining a spotlight on talented yet undiscovered authors, giving them a platform to share their incredible stories and unique journeys that brought them to the world of writing. In each episode, we'll deep dive into the story behind the story, exploring the inspirations, challenges, and triumphs that have shaped our guests' literary careers, and have some fun along the way. From the initial spark of an idea to the journey of crafting and publishing their books, we'll uncover the secrets that make their stories truly special. But that's not all. Once a month, we'll be joined by an expert from the publishing world who will share invaluable insights and advice for aspiring writers, answering your burning questions, and demystifying the path to success in the literary industry. At Beyond the Pen, my mission is simple, to entertain, educate, and encourage the next generation of great storytellers. So whether you're a writer, an avid reader, or simply someone with a passion for storytelling, Join us as we venture beyond the pen and celebrate the power of the written word. Hello, all you happy people, all you great book lovers out there. It is I, the boy, the man, the myth, the legend in my own head, uh, storyteller, story keeper himself, Mr. Maccabee. And uh, I am going solo this week because our lovely Chelsea is on vacation up in the mountains and won't be back until next week. But that's okay because we keep this train rolling down the line of storytelling, of developing and understanding where authors are coming from, what they're dealing with. And today we are dealing with a story that is very much based off of an, you could say, a joke, really. The joke is, an old woman walks into a bar. No, I'm, I'm serious. That's actually not only the whole joke itself, that's the title of the book. An old woman walks into a bar. And it's by a young lady by the name of Deborah Schaus, and who has graciously explained to us in not so many words that we really, really need to stop showing ageism towards our elders instead of learning from them. Unless we are really, we're missing all the gems of wisdom from them. And we're pushing aside a lot of things that mean something to us but not only that but we're also thinking that they're no good anymore which by the way bad idea there's so much there so much there. i love my grandparents when they were around loved them to death it was fun but also here's another thing we're going to be talking about a lot of little details like hero hero worshiping we're going to be talking about um economics we're going to be talking about just a lot of different things social aspects of what we believe comparative to what we are i mean little little things like that but before we get into all that i wanted to thank you for being here with us if you like what you hear like subscribe share with everybody so that we can get these uh these authors up and running in front of the mainstream people and start telling these stories instead of you know 
the things that are on there now. Anyways, I digress and I bring up Miss Deborah Schaus. Hello, madam. And you are muted, so be careful. Hello, Maccabee. So happy to be with you this morning. Oh, I'm so happy we could do this. We had a little bit of a tidbit yesterday that we were supposed to record, but that's okay. We are here. We are live. So, Deborah, please introduce yourself to our audience. And if you would, tell us something that they don't know about you. Well, I'll tell you that people are often surprised when I tell them I have an MBA and I use it only in emergencies. And that is because when I was I dropped out of school to get married. And when I went back to school, I was in a very practical mode. So I got an MBA. But I am not a numbers person. I am a words person. And so it it comes up sometimes that I have to use it, but not very often. And I'm very grateful for that. And so I've been a writer for many years, and I love writing. But what Maccabee has so gallantly introduced is my debut novel after writing many nonfiction books. And when she says that, I mean, she means it. She has over 10 books that she's written, not only for herself, but also for other people as well as a ghostwriter. Let me ask you that real quick, because I want, I want people to understand that just because you have a debut for your own stuff doesn't mean that you can't write for other people. What is that process like for you as a ghostwriter? Well, I enjoy learning about other people and learning about new things. And so I love having a topic. One of my favorite books I ghost wrote was about entrepreneurship in Kansas City. And for that book, I got to interview more than 30 local entrepreneurs who talked about their triumphs and their failures. So I love hearing successful people talk about what they did wrong and how they overcame their obstacles. I find it very inspiring. And so it's really fun to do that book. It is something that we can always learn from because there's a lot of things that entrepreneurs themselves do that I believe that a lot of authors need to be doing for themselves as well. They need to understand that when you're creating a book, you're not just telling a story, you're creating a brand. You're teaching other people not only how to write, but you're also showing them that there's ways to go out and make money off of it, not just by selling the book, but also doing uh, doing speaking events and things of that nature to get the word not only about that, but for yourself and what your experiences are and how you can help other people. Would you agree? I think that's beautifully put. I think part of the joy of getting to be a writer is to be able to share your your passions, your concerns with other people. And if you like to speak, which I do, um, then you get to go and and share them with people. My partner, Ron, and I, we're travelers. And so for many years, we've worked with um, care partners of people who are living with dementia. And every place we traveled, we tried to uh, speak, volunteer to speak to a group of caregivers. And we learned so much from that experience. And it was so meaningful. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Like, tell us one of the stories that really stuck with you that 
gave you a little bit of an influence to even write an old woman who walks into a bar. Well, one of the stories we were visiting um, Turkey in Istanbul, and we were sharing stories from um, the first book I, I wrote on this subject called Love in the Land Dementia, Finding Hope in the Caregiver's Journey. So we shared, Ron and I read the stories together and we had a translator. And then we talked to people afterwards again with the translator. But after we were all done, a man came up to me and said, your story is my story. And I, to me, that's the meaning of life. It's like we're living, you know, so far apart from each other, that man and I, and yet we are sharing a common journey. And we got to connect along those lines. And that's happened many, many times. And that's what I mean. It's like all these stories, we were talking about this before we started recording a little bit, is that stories are something that connects people, that teach people, and to learn the ways that we are actually similar to one another instead of how we are different because we could always sit down and talk about all the little things that make us different you know for me and deborah deborah's a little bit older than i am she's a little <laughs> bit more wiser than i am um yet to be determined <laughs> yet to be determined but you have a lot more life experience than i do so for me that means I need to listen to you when there are certain things that you've went through. Now, it doesn't mean always that you have to take him as a, sometimes you can take it as a grain of salt, or there are times where you like sit down, you literally think about how, what that person's went through has changed their life and how it can change yours. And I think with your debut novel, an old man walks into a bar, old woman walks into a bar, excuse me. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that it speaks volumes about not only this, our protagonist uh, Grace is life, but also the way that the world has viewed her. She's 78 years old, which by the way, she does not care about uh, in terms of telling people her age, um, but the way that people interact with her. For instance, when she first got into, uh, goes into the bar at the beginning, there's an older gentleman there, 55, who's just had a bad day, but it was some of the things that he said that really intrigued me. And that was, it's refreshing to see an elderly woman in, into this bar. What was, what was it about that statement that you had, that you, you had him actually say that comparative to just like, well, it's funny. You don't really see old women in here anyways. I think the world, the word elderly, is, has such a connotation of being uh, frail and maybe not quite as competent. And Grace is anything but that. And yet she has a fine sense of humor. And so with, that constantly saves her. And so it was just a way, um, I mean, this book was, an, as you and I were talking earlier, Maccabee, it's an exploration of many subjects. And one thing you were asking about is um, the power of sharing stories. So I've been going around to different book clubs here in person and then elsewhere on Zoom. And the first book club I went to, the host walked up to me and she said, Grace has saved my life. 
This same thing had happened to her that happened to Grace. And when she read about how Grace handled it, it gave her a new perspective. And that was very exciting to hear. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's something that a lot of people really do need to think about more is that when we're hearing these words, like you said, Grace helped me. And knowing that, and I was, I was just bringing up the book a little bit more because I wanted to make sure I actually said that line specifically, um, because there was a lot of other things that were going on during that time with her. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but the idea that ageism is a real thing, uh, because in the book, it's not only the first time, there's multiple times in her life where this has actually been a thing. She was a teacher for a very long time. Not only, I think it was first grade and fifth grade, if I remember correctly. Fourth grade. Mm -hmm. Fourth grade. Yeah. But she went away for a year, but was told, hey, you can come back, teach again, because that's what she loved to do. Um, but then someone else came in and said, no, we're just going to replace her because she's she's old. She needs to go do something else, basically. And I think, sadly, that's something that here in America that we do a lot more than a lot of other countries do. And in your travels, what is the difference between that you've seen and discovered between the way that the elderly are treated in other countries, other cultures, comparative to here? Well, I can tell you only a little of what I've seen, um, particularly in the realm of the dementia world, where many, here we are very fortunate to have care communities where people can go. And in many places, they don't have that many professional care communities and people take care of their loved ones in their homes. And so, and in some cultures, it's almost shameful, you know, to put someone in a care community. So that is an, an interesting difference that we've seen. Um, when we visit in India, um, we noticed that the younger people particularly were very interested in older people um, I have white skin with white skin and they came up and sat with us and, and talked to us and um, looked at our silvery hair. And that was very, very interesting to them and, and therefore very interesting to us. And, and so that, that's a few of the things that I have observed, but I've also observed that just the caring of four people of and for people who are going through something difficult is deep and consistent across all the cultures that I have visited. Yeah, that's, I, I was just thinking about, um, my son is going to uh, summer camp right now. Uh, every day the bus comes and picks him up from the house, uh, from the bus stop and everything. But there's uh, a older lady that's uh, brings her granddaughters in there. And they're probably, I would say seven, six, seven years old. But they're always respectful of her, like abuela, abuela, abuela. And it's really funny. And here's the other thing I thought was interesting. It's like the little girl's always riding her bike to the bus stop. And every day, abuela gets on that bike, this little bike, and rides it back to the house. So I was like, <laughs> 
that's interesting because like the joke of like an old woman walks into the bar is like in my head it was like an old woman rides a kid's bike to <laughs> their house i'm like hmm, interesting but that's not also another thing that you really were pushing into this like the fact that grace herself is full of grace that she is very much someone who loves kids she loves taking care of them trying to help them especially those that are that are not on the economic scale of uh, okay we'll just say it. they're poor they're like dead poor they don't have access to a lot of things and what was it about her experiences with them that made her really was it just because she was at school a lot and seeing this all the time but what was it that really made her say we're going to start a program at our church for these children i think it was seeing the difference that um early education makes for kids and that she wanted everybody to have the same advantages and also i think part of this i mean for me and I think all of us is about what we see when we look first look at people and um, learning how to take away maybe that first stereotypical impression and learn out learn who that person is. And I think that was something that Grace practiced a lot. And um, I've been trying to practice that in my own life because most of us do that. You know, we get an impression of somebody we we need to. And in the book, there are quite a few people who are way more than the first impression uh, would have you believe. Yes, very much so. Um, I, I, I will say you do this beautifully. When you introduce Nora Fay to us, I already wanted to hate her. <laughs> It was not because of, you know, I, I wanted to hate the, the pastor's uh, wife the most. But when I started to really think about it, I was like, this younger woman in her 40s is coming in and just revamping a program that's already been going for a little while and booting somebody out of their seat that they've been there from day one. And by the way she is such a southern bell in my head it's not even funny it's like when i was starting to read the book out loud for some reason it just automatically went into a southern bell i think it was just because of the word the fact that you were saying well, bless your heart i was like oh sweet <laughs> jesus i want to smack the living crap out of this woman anyways <laughs> it, it, it was a little thing so like but it also brings up a, 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 it also brings up the idea that there's other things involved in this. There, there's these little secrets, little dark secrets here and there that she has that we're not we're not really noticing too much at the at the beginning, except for when she takes Grace into the office. And she's got this Southern Belle demeanor on. And then all of a sudden that that one little split of a flick of the hair, it's like, no, it, we're not Southern Belle anymore. We are like New York stockbroker. <laughs> yeah. 
you're an observant, you're an observant reader, Maccabee. <laughs> I have to be. I have to be. Why give her that split like personality point right there? That really to really make her more disturbing per se. Well, as you said, Nora Faye is a person with a secret that we'll save for the readers to find out. Of course. But like a lot of people, um, she has this appearance of confidence, um, arrogance even, but it's covering over doubt and insecurity. And so, um, and therefore, I was like you in the beginning when she came to me, um, but I have compassion for her. And I think that's, that's part of this is that there's mostly there's something in everyone, almost everyone we can have compassion for when we know enough about them. And I would agree with that because, you know, storytelling is meant to relate various personality types and backgrounds, no matter what role they are within the story, to the reader that says, show a little bit of understanding of where they came from and what they're about and why they're making these specific decisions. Because when, again, reading the book and going over these characters in my head again, there's almost a comparison between Nora Faye and, to me, honestly, Sheila, who is, for everybody else that's reading the book, when you get it, um, Sheila is a young lady who grew up loving, I can't even say loving, it's like enthralled with Grace's son, Corey. But there's a, an idea of, what obsession can become comparative to what it truly is. Because when I compare Sheila and, and uh, Faye, uh, nor Faye, there is a comparison of there are masks. There are, there is pain there. Mm -hmm. One decides to leave, go be rich and famous and do all these things that she wants to be and have this facade of this Southern belle. While the other one is just in pain, honestly, constantly in my mind, because of where she came from. And that's where this the economic scale of uh, lower classism and middle classism comes into play for me is because during the summer that Corey was about to uh, go to, to college, this young girl comes in and it's just like, I, I, I would love to talk to Corey and grace being grace is someone who is like, he's not, he's getting ready for work. He doesn't have time for relationship, but she allows her to come in anyways and just have these conversations. Was there something there in, in grace's mind to say, oh, this girl comes from a bad background. I, I just need to give her some type of hope that, you know, someone's there to listen to her or just try to connect and understand where she's coming from what what was going on through those conversations that Grace was really understanding that people weren't seeing? I think in the beginning, it was Grace just being kind to a young teenage girl. 
and also seeing the way that Sheila was um, putting on makeup that was kind of not very expert, kind of loud, kind of like pay attention to me. And um, that she came to have a feeling of compassion for Sheila. And it was, she didn't love Sheila during those early days, but she, you know, she just thought, here's somebody who needs a place to sit and needs somebody to make him a peanut butter and jam sandwich. And I can do that. So that, that was her feeling at the beginning. And then of course they meet up again many years later. And at, at that point she gets to know Sheila more, almost against um, her wishes. I mean, she wasn't really inviting it, but it, it's one of those things we that happened to all of us where somebody just kind of barges into our lives. And um, if we're curious to see why they're there, they can become a very important person. And she does. She actually becomes something very much of like, almost like an, a, another, a, a, a daughter to her in a way. Mm -hmm. And she wants to like really start to take care of her a little bit more over time. And I want to know what Sam was thinking through this entire summer about this too. By the way, Sam is Grace's uh, husband uh, who died from uh, pancre pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. What was, what was his thoughts of this happening? Was he was like, okay, this is going to happen. He knows his wife and she's there to help. Or he's like, oh gosh, this girl again. Well, that is a great question. Sam would be thinking that's grace for you. That is grace. Somebody needs some care, some loving, um, some listening, particularly grace is going to do it. So he knows that about grace. And I think he got used to it and started to enjoy it after a while. Because Corey was already on his way out. Yes. Because he was graduating, he was going to college. Uh, which college did he go to, by the way, in your mind? In my mind, he went to University of Missouri in Columbia. And why? Close, local place. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> I guess I guess that's it. I guess we're going to go with that instead. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing: I I love Corey's demeanor when he, in a, in a way, because he's very much the person you you can tell he's Sam and and Grace's child from the get go, because Sheila at one point was about to be you know forced kissed by a, a muscle bound football player um by the way not all football players are muscle bound um but in this case he was but Corey comes straight in plays the hero doesn't back down and now sheila is just like enthralled with him and not just for that point but it seems like this crush is just like something that turned into puppy love and almost like a hero worship in a way, because then she starts to question, oh, Corey wouldn't have done this, or what would Corey do in this uh, situation? How far 
do you think she is to being hero worshiping to obsession when it comes to Corey? That's an excellent question. I think it's more hero worshiping because in the intervening years, she has been married, divorced, married. But I think Corey kind of emerged as um, the ideal person in her mind. And as a person, as a young girl, reading romances, watching old movies on TV, her father leaving the family when she was, you know, seven or eight, then Corey comes to rescue her, which is such a big theme in romances. And I think he came to embody the perfect man. And she had enough sense to go on with her life. You know, he was gone. Um, but when she came across Grace again and thought, oh, and Corey's not married, it's maybe it's meant to be. Yeah, because there is a sense that she, that's where like the, the closest of that obsession point was coming to mind because she really wants, she's like forcing, like you said, forcing herself into their lives again, just like she did, you know, way back when. And her ideal views of what looks good, what doesn't look good, still come into favor of what she's seen in the movies, what she's reading in the books, uh, the styles that she found in old magazines, uh, hairstyles that she still wears, which oddly is very strange, but I love it. I like that little, <laughs> that little quick of hers, um, the quirk, excuse me. Um, but let's go into it a little bit further into the way that we have with our interactions between family and friends on what happens to someone after they are widowed and the way that people are looking at things like when Corey, Corey's a great kid. Corey's a great, wonderful kid, but he's seen some things that shouldn't have happened, you know, in terms of some of the clients that he has, for instance, let's talk about where he comes in and is working with this family and all of a sudden, you know, they've got something going on. This little girl's sick. She has leukemia. And a year goes by after this family's going through all this stress. And next thing you know, the dad's out of the picture. Mom and daughter, thankfully. It, it, I'm sorry if you had if you had killed that little girl off, I would not have been happy because um, that's just mean. <laughs> But uh, you bring up, uh, before I answer that question, I, one of the goals for writing this book was that I didn't want to be, I wanted to write a book that wouldn't depress or traumatize people. And I wanted a book that um, was real, you know, but that also was generally uplifting. And that was important for me as a writer and a reader, because I was in the mood to read that. So, yes, nobody dies. <laughs> well, except but, for Sam. Yes, he's, he, he's, he's gone before we get there. But, um, yes, I think Corey has been kind of thrust into a world of wealthy people, um, different than he is used to being around. He has a middle-class background, but he is a kitchen remodeler and is rose in that to be quite good at what he does. He is 
not always a very articulate communicator regarding smaller talk, but very articulate regarding the details of his trade. And so um, he is, and he is brought up to be very, very honorable. In fact, one of the things that fuels him is his father telling him before his dad dies, take care of your mother. And that was another subject I wanted to write about the the children's desire, take care of your mother. What does it mean? Keep mom safe. And what does Grace want? She wants to live and have fun. And those are often two very different things. And I think that's a conflict that is very common with the, the adult child who's trying their best to help their parent, whether the parent wants it or not. <laughs> and the parent wants to stay connected to the child no matter what. I can, that's another reason why I like Corey so much is because he, me and him are very much alike in the sense that when my dad passed away back in 2003, uh, my dad was very much, I wasn't there for my, my dad's last words or anything like that, but I'm sure he would have said something around that same thing. Um, the fact is, is that when your parent is this person that has gotten to the point of their age where they're saying, I've done all the work. Now I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to enjoy the, my, the wealth of everything that life has given me. And I'm going to travel. I'm going to do all this stuff. Cause my mom does that. She's 77 years old. And she, I, I tell her, how's the hotel doing now? Do we need to come in and fix it up? I, her house is a hotel because she's not there very often. Like she's got a beautiful house. It's a great country house. But the fact is, is that she's never really there. She's all over the place. She just goes there to sleep when she's in town. But I get where Corey's coming from because you're, he's looking at all the, the house and it's like, this needs to be fixed. I can fix this. Why do you have this? You know, because to me, especially when, when we're dealing with people with dementia and Alzheimer's, they need things to make them comfortable and remind them of the life that they've had. Is this happening with Grace when you look at everything that's within the house? Is that one of the reasons why she's like, I don't want to change this. Nothing's, everything's fine. It just needs to be fixed. But I have someone to do that for me. Now, there's no dementia in this book. What Grace wants is just to spend time with Corey while he's there. And, and I think what he wants, <clears throat> excuse me, is to be useful. And the way he knows to be useful is to fix things. He's very good at it. And, and so they come to, you know, a middle ground where Grace saves things for him to fix. And then they can have time together where they're playing cards or eating out. But it, it's a mixture. Okay, that's why. Because I know Frank, who is uh, Sam's friend, who also lost his wife, just comes around and takes care of the outside, helps to fix things when they need to be fixed. Um, so I love how you bring that community into this. Even with some of the ladies at the church, there is a lot of support between her, Sonia, um, even the pastor at some times, 
I'm still kind of mad at him a little bit, <laughs> but I understand. I understand where he's coming from. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, his wife, that's a different story. Uh, but I love how you're you're really presenting that we still have this sense of community to support our elders, to support even the growth of um, that wisdom being shared and understanding that we can still learn these things of grandma may be grandma, but guess what? Grandma's had an amazing life. And there's a lot of things we can pick up from her, like being a, uh, a, uh, what's the term? Um, a, a pistol. Okay. Because uh, who is, um, Evelyn, I believe is the character's name. Which is Mormon. Yeah. Yes. Her, she is a pistols through and through. She will not back down. If you, she's like a, she's like a cornered animal sometimes just like on a overall feel because she doesn't care what you think about her. And that's what I love about her. It's like, I don't care if you don't like me, I'm still going to be this person. <laughs> it's very simple. Yeah. I, I and, love her. And, I, <laughs> and that's what I mean. It's like, I want people to see her that way because that's what grace is too. Grace is, very much that same idea just on a softer side until you try to batter out then she's coming back at you and that's what i love about this and i want to end on this question because i think it is something that a lot of people really need to understand is that when it comes to our elder and i use that term in the best way possible because that's what it means and it's there it doesn't mean old it means wise and that's what i want people to understand what is it about these women and some of these men in here that are really their best characteristics that you've pulled from not only yourself and your family but from all these caregivers that you want people to really look at when they when they see these characters in the book well i think you know, the, the words you just use, look at. I, I wanted to write about people, the kinds of people I knew. You know, none of these characters are people I know, but everybody's a composite. And how smart and interesting and how basically tolerant, I think. You grow more tolerant. You grow more independent. Um, you grow more outspoken has been my experience as you get older. And so I wanted us all to be able to look at that and then translate that when we see somebody who may look different than we are, either younger and far more beautiful or older and far more frail and be curious about them and who they are. And that was one of my goals in writing this. Well, I am very curious to know a little bit more about you. So I'm going to go into our favorite questions that a lot of people love to love to answer and me to ask. First off, what is your writing kryptonite? What is your weakness when it comes to your writing? My weakness is doubt and plot. <laughs> Which is very hard for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, second. 
Is there a quote, a song, someone in your life that inspires you to continue writing? Well, that's a great question. Um, well, my partner, Ron, always inspires me because he has complete faith in me. And when I'm in the middle of the creative process and doubt assails me, he says, this always happens to you and it always turns out all right. I cannot remember that because I'm in the middle of it, but that's very comforting. And I also am so lucky. I have several critiquing groups, so writers who critique each other, and that is fabulous to have as a writer because first of all, there's deadlines where you're gonna be turning in something to this group, but there's also people who know the craft, who encourage you, who know your strong points, who help you with your weak points. So those people are very helpful and vital to me. And finally, what is next for Miss Deborah Schaus? Well, I'm waiting for that to be revealed. Right now, I'm just randomly writing about Sheila. I'm having a great time. Uh, Sheila's going to beauty school, and which is one of her dreams. So I'm having a great time writing about Sheila and going to beauty school. But it's not... Um, it's not a real narrative, it's random scenes. I'm just letting myself play. So we'll see that what is awesome. next, that could be next. You know what, I love that because of the fact that there are plenty of characters that I've created that I still have all these little stories about them and I love that because I think that's another way for people just to really just continue to continue to write every single day, even if it's just random thoughts that just lead you into inspiration. I think that's a great thing that you can do. So here's the thing. Let me ask you, where can people find you? Where where can people get reach out to you for inspiration? The floor is yours. Great. Well, I have a website, DebraShouseWrites.com. And so my um, email is there. Information about me is there. I love to connect with other writers. So love to be part of book clubs if anybody has one. So I'd love to hear from anybody who wants to reach out. The book is on Amazon and easy to find naturally. And um, so I, I am a writer who loves, I'm a co-facilitator of a writer's group, big writer's group that's been going on for many years. And I love connecting with other writers because um, it's such an interesting career to have chosen. It takes humility and boldness, both. You know, it takes wild self-confidence and yet the ability to be humble and continue on no matter what. So I like meeting people like that. <laughs> that is awesome. And real quick, because I forgot to ask this at the beginning and I, I want to make sure I put it in there. What is an old woman walks into a bar about in seven words or less, right. or eight words or less? It's grace, finding, and then refinding her life purpose. You know what? That's a perfect way of ending it. I love it. Thank you so much for being on here, Deborah. I appreciate it so much. Well, I had a great time. Thank you, Maccabee. All right, folks. Like she said, you need to go find this book. It is so fun to really appreciate everything that is around us, the elders that are around us, not the old people, the elders. 
because yes, there are old people out there and they're ornery and I love them to death. They're funny to work with, but the elders are there that can be ornery as well and be themselves, but also give you some type of wisdom that goes with it from their life. So I want to thank you all for being here. Go out, find the book. An old woman walks into a bar by Miss Deborah Schaus. Schaus, I can't speak. And enjoy it because there's a lot of underlining things that I didn't even talk about with her yet that you are definitely going to find interesting. Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.